ghosts, specters, whatever you want to call them, they've been around for thousands of years. Apparently she died from a tooth infection in one of the upstairs rooms in the house. As have the locations they haunt. History of a Haunting podcast tells you all about these famous, infamous, and almost famous locations, and why they became terrifying places to visit. Grab a glass of wine and settle in with your hosts, Archie. I mean, that was definitely the wrong thing to do. And Carrie. Nobody asked for it, Carrie. Nobody fucking asked for it, but hey, my podcast, and I'll say what I fucking want. <laughs> Two people just winging it in life, and this podcast. So enjoy this week's episode of History of a Haunting. Hi, guys. Hey, everybody. Welcome to History of a Haunting and our very, very first mini episode. I'm Carrie Hopper. I'm Archie Pace. And we are um, back to recording remotely again. (laughs) God, I feel so stupid. Well, do you want to tell them why? Uh, We can save it for the podcast. Because I'm going to feel stupid then, too. (laughs) all right great um needless to say we're back to recording remotely so there may be a little bit more feedbacky stuff um but i will do my very best to edit that out uh so this is our very first mini episode arch and we're actually going to be covering two locations um these mini episodes are going to be dedicated to locations that maybe don't have a ton of hauntings um, like LaLaurie Mansion and Stanley Hotel, um, but they're still really amazing places that need to have their story told. So we are going to be releasing mini episodes to you wonderful Patreons twice a month. And this is our very first one. We are going to Japan and France in this episode. The first place we're going to talk about is the Aoki Gahara Forest, or also known as the Suicide Forest, in Japan. And Arch, let's just jump right into the history on this one. All right, let's do it. Um, I got my information from the AokiGaharaForest.com website, as it has its very own website, wow. with, with supplemental and supporting information from a Mental Floss article. Okay. Oh, I got my information for mental floss, too. <laughs> Aoki Gahara is a forest that lies at the base of Mount Fuji, less than 100 miles west of Tokyo. Locally, it is also known under the name of Jukai, or Sea of Trees, because of its very high density. I actually looked at it on MapQuest because I am that dork, and it's it's a thick forest. It's I mean, it's thick. It's tree to tree. It is, yeah. I was reading some, um, like, like people's accounts that had been there and have visited just to go hiking in it. And they say mm-hmm. that it, you almost can't even see the sun because right. of the, the density of the, the trees. And you almost can't even see the trail in some points. Yeah. Which it's, is it's pretty dangerous, but I mean, yeah. I guess that's kind of the point. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get, let's get into that. Well, it's also very sought after by tourists because there are two caves located there. Uh, the Ice Cave and the Wind Cave. Oh. It 
It is a unique forest in many ways. There is barely any wildlife in there, mm. so it's it's very quiet, making it a popular destination among locals. However, this quietness hides a more macabre side t- to it, as the Aokigahara is the number one suicide spot for Japanese people. Yes. When you enter the forest, there are signs in both Japanese and English hoping to prevent people against suicide. One sign at the entrance reads, Your life is something precious that was given to you by your parents. While another states, Meditate on your parents, siblings, and your children once more. Do not be troubled alone. I like that they're they're asking people to reach out for help. They're, yeah, they're trying to prevent um, any more people going in there to commit suicide. It's one of the craziest stories and things that I have ever heard, and it's all fact. Yeah. It's, it's all fact. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, here's another fact. The exact number of suicides is unknown because the police stopped publishing the data. The, the last time the data was made public was in 2003, when 105 confirmed suicides took place. Jesus Christ. It's, it's hard to make a profile of the average person who kills themselves in the forest, but they are usually males between 40 and 50 years old. Um, also a contributing factor. The biggest month seems the biggest month for suicide seems to be March, which is possible because March is the end of the fiscal year in Japan. So oh. if they're realizing a financial failure, that that'd be the time. Oh uh, yeah, that would cause great stress and okay. Wow, that's wild. Okay. And and it's theorized in the website that so many people come from all over Japan to end their stressful lives there as they feel it's the perfect location in which to breathe their last breath. Mm. It's baffling to understand why there is such a high rate of suicide in the country because it's, it's above the rest of the developed world. Um, But the website theorizes that has something to do with the Japanese psyche and that many Japanese men feel rejected when retrenched. Some of them had held important positions in their respective companies, including that of a CEO. Oh, shit. Unable to face their families and loved ones, they perhaps, in the manner of samurai warriors of the past, felt that suicide was the only way to atone for their failures. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Okay. The uh, the Aoki Gahara has not always attracted hundreds of people wishing to end their lives, well, there is some evidence that suggests as far back as the 19th century, it was a place where Japanese carried their elders to die of starvation or or exposure, a practice called ubusute, which roughly translates as abandoning the old woman. Um, many insist that it's more grim folklore than anything else, but it's, it's not just Japan that has this kind uh, of... Are you serious? Yeah. It's not it's, just Japan. Like this is not a terrible, just Japan. This is a terrible, terrible legend or folklore story, or if it's true, it's awful. It's but just, if it's, um, other, other terms I've seen are like sinicide or senior side. Oh, when communities run out of, or start to run low on supplies and food and things like that, the elderly are sacrificed essentially. Jesus. So the younger this, generations can go on. 
Is this reminding you of anything bullshit you might be seeing on the internet today? Sacrifice oh, the week. Sacrifice the week, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good God. Yeah, it's atrocious, but at the time... Blech. It was necessary, unfortunately. Well, I mean, we don't... I'm, I, we don't now, we, thank God. Well, that and I, I don't, I don't know what the population is like in Japan. I, I can't even, I'm not educated anywhere near at all to speculate. <laughs> it just sounds like a horrible, horrible folklore legend, even if it's just that, but bleh. all right, go on. Well, um, the Aokigahara forest became popular after the 1960s when a novel by famed author Saicho Matsumoto was published in this novel called Tower of Waves, a couple commits suicide in the Aokigahara Forest. Another book from 1993, The Complete Manual of Suicide, Jesus, by Wataru Surumi. I, a, I came across that, too. I was like, are you fucking kidding with this? You, write, you have to write a manual? <laughs> well, uh, with the release of those books, added fuel to the fire and increased suicide rates in the forest. The author described the Aokigahara as the perfect place to commit suicide and even described which parts of the forest are less circulated so the bodies cannot be found later. Fuck! Wow. Um, also, to close my portion, an annual body sweep is organized before mm -hmm. the holiday season so that people can find the dead bodies, remove them, and where possible, identify them. Isn't that fucking horrible? That's uh, that's that's mind blowing to me. Yeah. And and during my research of this, a lot of times when they do the search, they come across abandoned campgrounds mm -hmm. or occupied campgrounds of people who are there just to figure out right. if they if they really want to do it. Hey, what's up? <laughs> hey. You know, and Sometimes I feel like that would be me. If I had some place like that, I would just pack up, pack up a tent and equipment and just go there to be in the absolute peace and quiet and alone just to, you know, recenter, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that in, in that situation, I think doing that would help get away from the noise and the clatter and the the chaos of everyday life to just kind of oh, give yourself... Oh, God, especially, especially in Tokyo. Yeah, give yourself an opportunity to um, focus on things that maybe there's just too much busyness going on around you to be able to do, but certainly not to kill yourself. Oh, <laughs> no, no. No, I know that's not what you meant, but I know that a lot of these folks go there I'm and... There, I, I watched a documentary on on the forest, and I know that a lot of folks go there, and they're not sure. Maybe they, you know, change their mind or or what have you. I can't imagine if they're not giving out statistics anymore. I can't imagine how many people go there and then come back out. Like, how many people are changing their mind? Is there a greater number of people changing their mind and leaving? Right, 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 right. Or is the number greater that they go in and they never come back? 
Well, and that's the point of not releasing statistics. If you don't hear that hundreds of people are dying by suicide in a forest, oh, well, then people must not be doing that anymore. Yeah. I'll pass. Holy shit. That is mind-blowing. Okay. Uh, uh, that was powerful. I'm really glad that we did this. Mm-hmm. I am, too. I really am, too. Um because this has been something I think that you and I have had on our list to kind of look into since the start of the podcast, I think. Oh, yeah. Just because it's so bizarre and fascinating. And yeah. And it had um, it did have kind of a resurgence in popularity in the last couple of years because of that. Logan oh, Paul, fucking idiot. Logan Paul idiot. That guy. Yeah. And I don't even know who he is. Like, I'm sure Koi probably has heard of him or whatever, but I'm not I, like, I don't follow YouTubers like that. Yeah. Uh, he's a fucking idiot. So but anyway, <laughs> but anyway, this is not the Bash Logan Paul show. Um, although not we should. Yet. He was stupid. <laughs> anyway, let's. <laughs> so let's get into the hauntings, the purported hauntings of the forest. Okay. Now, like you said. The forest is um, exceptionally dense and dark and quiet. Um, this article that I read said that it's without question one of the scariest places in the world, uh, that people often find clothing or body parts while traveling through its so-called sea of trees. And I just did air quotes, and I should have done <sighs> because nobody can see me. Damn it, Carrie. It's a radio show, idiot. Also, <laughs> You can't see the air quotes. Locally, the Sea of Trees is known in Japanese as Jukai. As Jukai, right? Yeah, because the the documentary that I that I watched, that's what the guide called it. Jukai. He didn't call it Aoki Gahara. He called it Jukai. Oh, he must live in the neighborhood. I'll have to watch that. Yeah, he um he was a he's a um environmental environmentalist and he studies volcanoes. So Mount Fuji is a volcano and i guess when it erupted back in like the 900s 8 900s mm-hmm. it the lava flowed down um the mountain and then all of the foliage and trees grew over top of that like supposed to be really um iron rich soil mm-hmm. yeah so compasses don't often work uh cell phones don't often work also because aside from the fact that it's so dense that you oh, can't really get a signal. I mean, you're almost separating yourself from the rest of the world just by walking into the place. But that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. So what doesn't it's not amazing is that people, like I said, often find clothing or body parts while going through this sea of trees. Oh, um, yeah. 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 That's, that's a negative. That's a negative. I mean, obviously, it is uh, the result of the high number of deaths by suicide that occur in the forest every year. Um, As you mentioned, it's located at the base of Mount Fuji, and Aoki Gahara plays a role in Japanese mythology, and it's considered to be one of the most haunted places in all of Japan, with believers reporting a very high number of yurei, which are ghosts who have suffered a violent and unnatural death. Um, and on top of these fun folks, there's also supposedly demons in the forest. Oh, good. Good, yeah. Uh, it, so, But apparently these paranormal beings don't cover all of the weird stuff that goes on in the forest. So uh, <laughs> to start, 
again, it's naturally an eerie place. Um, it's aside from its bad reputation, it's not really a place for a leisurely stroll. Like if you're wanting to go, <laughs> there's other forests, folks. Uh, the forest trees um, organically twist and turn, and their roots, I guess, wind across the forest floor in very dangerous, uneven threads. So because of its location at the base of the mountain, the ground is uneven, it's rocky, it's perforated, like you said, with hundreds of caves. So already I'm like, no, it just it sounds just too exhausting. <laughs> it just sounds too exhausting. But uh, more jarring than this uh, is that the feeling of isolation that you get, which is created from the stillness. Uh, again, the trees are too tightly packed for winds to blow through them. Wildlife is little to none. Um, one visitor described the silence as, quote, <laughs> chasms of emptiness. She added, yeah, that's just is a powerful couple of words. Okay, three words. Few words. <laughs> Bad at math. Uh, <laughs> and words are hard. She also added, I cannot emphasize enough the absence of sound. My breath sounded like a roar. Oh, wow. I can't imagine being in anything that freaking quiet oh. at all. Can you? I can't. I can, I can only imagine being someplace that empty and quiet. Where silence is deafening? Yeah. Ugh. So, um, okay. So now during a Vice documentary, that this is the documentary that I watched, they take a tour of the forest um, and they find this creepy curse. So the guide is taking the camera crew on um, a tour of this forest and they come across this tree that has this it almost looks like Jack Skellington, a Jack Skellington doll that has his face cut off. He's nailed upside down to the tree as sort of an inverted crucifixion. It's the creepiest oh. shit ever. Um, so according to the guide, who's, his name was Asuza Hayano, he said they nailed this character upside down as a symbol of contempt for society. It's more like a curse. The curse is nailed into the into the tree. Apparently, it's not that uncommon for visitors to leave a curse on the world they're leaving behind. Um, oh, uh huh. So a suicide note was also found nailed to a nearby tree with the same type of nail. So they assumed that it was the guy that left the note did the inverted doll thing. Gotcha. Now it's very easy to get lost in. This is what I think is just so fucked. It's very easy to get lost in. And again, like I said, compasses and GPS often don't work under its canopy, but that's also believed to be due to the high iron deposits in the soil. But for this, for this fucking reason, people entering the forest will string along tape behind them so they can find their way back out. I did read that. Did you? Yeah. Um, now here's what's fucked. There are stories of people having their tape deliberately cut, leaving them lost in the woods. And it's believed that it could be one of the demons leading these travelers astray. Interesting. So it's almost like, okay, of the bodies they're finding, are these genuine suicide victims or are they people that got lost and couldn't get out and just died from that? That's a very good. Yeah. 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 That's a great question. 
Um, now, according to legend, the spirits here in this forest are very vengeful and dedicated to tormenting and luring depressed or distraught individuals deeper into it. Apparently, it's common for suicidal individuals to leave behind curses before killing themselves, like we mentioned with the Jack Skellington thing. Visitors have also reported hearing blood-curdling screams when no one is around. And then, again, people walking through the forest that you're supposed to stay on the trails. There's designated trails through the forest. There's also, like, roped-off areas that say, you know, you can't go in here because you can get lost. People obviously go in there, but they use this tape, but they find that their tape has been inexplicably cut and removed. Wow. Which is terrifying. That's, that's creepy. That's so terrifying. Um, so these screams, they're often reported as being blood curdling and unnatural screams. Um, they're believed to be made by the Yuri. A writer for the Japan Times told of an incident where he heard a terrifying scream in the forest. When he went searching for the source of the noise, he came across the dead body of a man at the base of a tree. After a quick examination, it revealed the corpse had been dead for some time and could not have been the source of the scream, but maybe his spirit was. Oh, mm -hmm. shit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another uh, hallmark of the forest is that there have been supposedly literal ghost sightings, with visitors sometimes claiming to see white figures drifting between the trees. Not surprising. I, this does not surprise me in the least. <laughs> um, now, the sci-fi paranormal investigation show Destination Truth. Have you ever seen that with Josh mm. Gates? No, I haven't. It's an amazing show. He goes and investigates myths and urban legends so like Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot and or whose name is Daryl um <laughs> since we all found out this year his name was Daryl um he goes and he does that kind of stuff so they they went and they did a show on the Aokigahara forest and they seem to have caught one of these apparitions on camera and it's oh. crazy yeah it's crazy if I can figure out a way I will uh, include the video on YouTube of, that they caught on um, the Patreon site with this episode. But you see this, what looks like a white human figure kind of morph up out of the ground by a cluster of trees. And it's there for a couple of seconds. And then you see it almost collapse back down into the ground. Whoa. A human figure. It's the creepiest thing I've ever seen. Um, link me, link me that after this. I, I yeah, I sure will. Um, so now, according to some reports, like you mentioned, forest workers must carry the bodies from the forest to the local police station, where they are put in a special room used specifically to house suicide corpses, because a lot of people believe that if a corpse is left alone, it is very bad luck for the ghost of suicide victims. Their spirits are said to scream through the night and that their bodies will move on their own. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. So that's why they do these sweeps as well as just to kind of try and you know, holy shit, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, given its proximity to Mount Fuji, Aoki Gahara is actually considered by most Japanese religions to be a very spiritual place, but that's not necessarily a good thing. Right. Um, <laughs> Buddhist monks have actually set up altars in the forest to try and combat what they say are the evil spirits haunting the forest and drawing people there to die by suicide. 
one Buddhist monk named Ki- Kiyomiyo Fukui. Sorry, Mr. Monk. Uh, <laughs> he was visiting the forest to set up an altar when he told the New Zealand Herald, quote, the spirits are calling people here to kill themselves. The spirits of people who have committed suicide before. So um, there's a there's many frightening stories, you know, out there about this forest. Uh, it, it's certainly beautiful. I'm sure it's probably amazing to see, especially at the base of that amazing mountain. But it certainly d- isn't the type of place where you want to go camping, like oh. at all. Um, this documentary that um, I watched on Vice, uh, they go through the forest and they stumble upon a couple of, of dead bodies that had been there for I don't even know how long. And they blurred them out in the documentary. But um, it's just they seem to be everywhere. Like it almost reminds me of like Mount Everest where the bodies of the hikers are there because they can't get them down off the mountain. But I guess in this particular case – they don't even realize that they're there because then the trees and the ground cover just grow over them. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 They're so deep into the forest. They just don't like you, like you said in your part, there are this book talked about how there are certain places that people just don't go where you're guaranteed to not ever be found. Yeah. So, um, I definitely want to say that if you are somebody that, you know, um, if you're experiencing any suicidal thoughts, you know, somebody that is, please, please, please call 911, call a friend, call a family member or call the national suicide prevention hotline. Their number is 1-800-273-8255. You're not alone. We promise you are not alone. There are people here to help you. And we it suicide is never ever should be an option. And, um, yeah. So I just wanted to say that, um, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, it's a, it's a terrifying place. And the, the, the idea that people and spirits are actually leading these poor, sad folks that maybe do just want to do like you do what you said, go to a place where you can just be quiet and have some clarity to think shit through but to think that there might be demons or these ghosts of these tormented souls that are then taking those already vulnerable people. Yeah. Just terrifying. It's just terrifying. And that and the fact that you might actually trip over a dead body. <laughs> I just can't even. Um, so, yeah, guys, that's okay. that's that's Aoki Gahara. Um, it. It was one of Archie's suggestions from a while ago, and we started researching it. We're like, there's not a lot here. Uh, So I'm glad that we are doing these mini episodes because we've got a lot of cool places that deserve to have their story told just like this place does. So the next place, Arch. Yeah, we're going around the globe to the Palace of Versailles and Versailles, France. This is my favorite. I'm excited about this. All right. So what I got was actually – Summarized for the official website for the Chateau Versailles at en.chateau, chateau, 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 versailles.fn. And I'm going to be honest, Gary, they had a fuck ton of information on this place. And literally, I was taking like the first paragraph of each time frame. I mean, it started, what, 1600s? Mm-hmm. When this little story gets underway. Yeah. And so let's begin with... Yeah, just the, let's hit the highlights. What do we got? 
The young dolphin, um, dolphin, God, Dauph- precious. I God, think I, dauphin. God, I hate French. No, I love <laughs> French and all things France. Just not the language. <laughs> Americans, and we have to butcher it all, all of it. All right. The future Louis the Thirteenth came to Versailles for his first hunting trip in 1607. It's Louis. Louis. Oh God, damn it! See, I'm sorry, France. I am so sorry. Louis. You know what was funny is, guys, before we got started in this episode, we were like, okay, let's go through our notes and make sure that we know how to pronounce all the words. And we only did... We only did Japan. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a huge, huge... Um, Francophile? Uh, yeah. Uh, I uh, Monarchy, all of that, I've studied the French monarchy. So I gotcha, Arch. I gotcha. It's okay. Dauphine, Chateau, and Louis. okay sorry so in 1607 he discovered a forest and meadows with plenty of game which also pleased his father henry the fourth however he louis 13th did not return until 1617 he was crowned king in 1610 but he didn't return until 1621 um Versailles was ideally situated between his principal residence at Saint-Germain and Lye and Paris. It was surrounded by woods that were noisy with pheasants, boars, and stags, a hunter's paradise. In, late 1860, in 1623, the king decided to build a small hunting lodge where he could stay the night, in which he first used in June of 1624. It was a small country residence and, according to some, a mere gentleman would not have been overly proud of the construction. Oh, well. Just a shack, basically. I mean, it's not worth it. It's just not, and certainly not for a king. Well, Louis Thirteenth decided to rebuild it in 1631, and construction continued until 1634, and it laid the basis of the palace we know today. The history of Versailles is inextricably linked with the figure of Louis the Fourteenth. Louis the Fourteenth. <laughs> he saw me put my mic up to my mouth. Like I saw. <laughs> <laughs> Although the location existed for centuries before the sovereign, Louis the Fourteenth developed a genuine liking for Versailles early on and decided to extend it beyond the chateau that had grown out of the hunting lodge of brick and stone first built by his father, Louis the Thirteenth. The king who could see great things for the chateau and forests around it, took on the role of architect himself and built a masterpiece with which he would forever be associated. Mm-hmm. Following the death of Louis XIV in September of 1715, the court abandoned Versailles for Vincennes and transplanted itself briefly to Paris the following December. Versailles entered a long period of neglect, It was not until 15th of June, 1722, that, at his own request, the young Louis XV returned to Versailles. His first concern was to complete the work that his great-grandfather started. It was at Versailles that Damien made an assassination attempt on his life in 1757, and where Mozart performed as a child prodigy. Oh, wow. Okay, that I didn't know. Yeah. When, uh, when he began suffering from the first symptoms of smallpox and Trianon, Louis XV was a Trianon. Trianon. Sorry. Trianon. Tri- God. 
You're supposed to drink your wine, Carrie, not breathe it. <laughs> All right, well, stop being fucking funny while I'm drinking. <laughs> After he started suffering from the first symptoms of smallpox and Trianon, Louis XV was immediately moved to Versailles, where he died on May 10th, 1774. Born in Versailles, like his grandfather, Louis XVI, became king before the age of 20. The celebration of his marriage to the Archduchess of Austria, Marie Antoinette, in 1770 at the Royal Opera House was one of the greatest events to take place in Versailles in the late 18th century. But the sovereigns were rapidly losing popularity, not only among the people, but also among the nobility, as a result of heavy taxes and Marie Antoinette's extravagant expenses. Failing to see clearly the social and economic situation, Louis XVI, who merely wanted to be loved, and Marie Antoinette, who loved luxury, were undoubtedly at a loss to explain the events of 5th and 6th of October, 1789, you know, let them uh-huh. eat cake. Uh-huh. Yes. Which, Which forced them to leave Versailles for a final journey to Paris. Uh, if the final is right. That's well, right. <laughs> far from being pillaged by a rampant mob, as might be imagined, the Palace of Versailles came through the period of the French Revolution relatively unscathed, even though some would have not minded seeing such a key symbol of the monarchy system laid to waste. As the court left Versailles in October 1789 for Paris, it would never return. Also aware of the palace's image with the people, Napoleon chose not to settle there, but opted instead for Trianon, which was more modest. And I, I don't get modesty in France. I mean... Well, I suppose after the Louis XVI, Marie Antoinette days, they wouldn't want to be seen as anything like that. Right. So maybe that is why the modesty thing was a thing. Well, maybe we can only hope for the same here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Moving forward. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Uh, After the uprising, the palace took on many important events in the history of France since I wanted to keep this to one page, I left out many of them. But um, the Declaration since of the Germans... Since this is supposed to be a mini-episode. <laughs> right. The Declaration of the German Empire was one of the events. There were 15 presidential elections, and somewhat poetically, the Allies had the Germans sign the peace treaty after World War One and the palace as well. Yes, the Treaty of Versailles. Yes, That's kind of feeling. like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. You signed your declaration of the German Empire here while you tried to take over the world. Here's where you're going to sign that you fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. And that's that's me. Oh, that was great. Um, yeah, there you there's there's so much. There's just so much. Um, it's on my list of um, I'll get there if it kills me. <laughs> I've got a few places on that list. It's not the same as my bucket list. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, Versailles is um, it's and I'm sure most people have seen the pictures of it, but it's this huge opulent complex. And 
the thought, the idea that it was actually a royal residence is mind blowing. Well, it kind of explains a lot too. It does. It does. Like while I was doing my research, of course I went to MapQuest. Not MapQuest. God, how old are you, Archie? I went to Google Maps, and I I noticed that the gardens. Oh, uh huh. The gardens are bigger than the town surrounding it. Uh huh. It's yeah. amazing. It is absolutely insane. Um, so it's really held sway in the public imagination for years because of its architectural grandeur and the political history that you just talked about. Mm-hmm. Archie, I want you to go with me to this place because I think you and I would walk in and just be like, holy fuck. Oh, God, we could spend days there wandering days. around. And days and days and days. Um so I did uh, I did find um, in one of the articles – oh, and by the way, my, my research came from LiveScience.com, CityWonders.com, JustFunFacts.com, <laughs> and ScienceHowStuffWorks.com. Um, so there's one article that I read. It says, to the public imagination, Versailles is the epitome of opulence. Um, it represents an age in French history of both France's rise as a fashion and power center, as well as the dramatic and bloody decline of the monarchy. So Louis XIV, uh, he was known as the Sun King because that's what he told people to know him as. <laughs> <laughs> he oh, chose- this was the guy that was like five years old when he got it, right? I believe he was n- – was he five or was he nine? He was young. He was just a kid. Well, I know. I know one of them was five, and he got sequestered away to Paris until he was old enough to make okay, then big boy this. decisions. Then that's this one. Yeah, his mother ruled as his region. Yeah, when he got old enough to make, as you say, big boy decisions. Uh, <laughs> which fun fact? He lived at the Louvre. Oh wow! Yeah, did you know that? Did you know no. that the Louvre was a royal a residence? residence? Mm-hmm. No, but it makes sense. Yeah. Um, I thought when I came across that, I was like, okay, well, that's fucking cool. (laughs) That's also on my I'll get there if it kills me list is the Louvre. Um, But anyway, he Louis XIV, known as the Sun King, who was a ruler who chose the sun as his emblem and believed in centralized government with the king at its center, who would radically transform Versailles, making it the seat of France's government by the time of his death. And he did. He created this insanely huge place and i'm going to get into its statistics here in a sec but because he wanted his court to live with him the nobles and everything they had to live with him at versailles he wanted that that 16 person toilet uh (laughs) is it no yeah that might be where no actually no that that 30 person toilet at hampton court palace came long before louis the 16th or louis the 14th rather Anyway, so um, he did. He wanted his entire court to live with him at Versailles. They had their apartments. They had salons for entertaining. But he didn't want them to live on their own land in their own homes. He wanted everybody there in Versailles with him. Okay. Um, Now, the Palace of Versailles, it covers an area of 87,728,720 square feet. Holy shit. 87 million square feet. The whole place, the gardens, all of it. Oh, okay. I'm like, God, Lord, I didn't know the palace was that big. (laughs) It's the size of Rhode Island. 
Um, <laughs> it is also 2000, uh, 2014 acres, it, making it the world's largest royal domain. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, the palace itself contains – here's – yeah. Now, 87 million square feet is not the – the palace itself is 721,206 square feet. Oh, pish posh. I know. <laughs> I mean, why even fucking have a palace if it's going to be that little? <laughs> <laughs> I could have taught this Louis the 14th a thing or three. <laughs> My favorite place of this entire palace is the Hall of Mirrors. Have you seen that? I have not, but I read a lot about it it's absolutely stunning so it it's um it has a total of 357 mirrors um it it's a big okay it's a hall hence hall of mirrors. Oh, no so i know i mean <laughs> sometimes you just got to dumb it down for yourself um <laughs> Um, so it has 17 huge mirrored arches opposite 17 windows. Each one of the arch, um, arches contains 21 mirrors, which makes it a massive 357 in all. The hall is 239.5 feet long, 34.4 feet wide and 40 feet high. Wow. It's massive. You probably would feel so little in that, in that room, especially with all the mirrors. Right. It would be insane. So um, the ceilings of the hall have intricate paintings and the borders of the wall are decorated with gilded statues. There are several glass chandeliers that hang from its ceiling. Um, and another beautiful aspect of the hallway is that on special occasions, the Hall of Mirrors chandeliers are lit with as many as 20,000 candles to transform it into a corridor of light. Holy shit. It's the most stunning thing I've ever seen. I've ever seen. It's just beautiful. Um so some facts about Versailles. Everything used to construct and decorate the palace was created in France. At the time of the palace's construction, Venice actually had Italy. Venice, Italy had a monopoly on making mirrors. So to combat this, the Venetian artisans were lured to France. <laughs> yeah. Uh, however, um, after their mirror-making secrets had been revealed, the Venetians then ordered the assassination of these mirror makers. Holy shit. They were fucking around with their secrets. Wow. Uh-huh. Um, Versailles really went all out on luxury in the palace. Even the chamber pots were made from silver. Oh, Christ. Right? Why not gold? Good Lord. Come on. I mean, well, that was, <laughs> that was for the king. Oh. <laughs> I'm guessing. I really have no idea. Um, now, the garden of Versailles that you were talking about, it is spread out across 1,976 acres and is one of the biggest gardens in the world. It has 210,000 flowers, 200,000 trees are planted annually in the garden, and in 1979, the gardens along with the chateau were inscribed on the UNESCO World Heritage List. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um it is the most acclaimed example of formal French garden design. Uh, it's, it's vast chateau gardens um, are popular and famous for their geometrically aligned terraces, tree-lined paths, ponds, and canals. Now, the marvel of the gardens of Versailles, then just as much, just as much then as it is now, are its fountains. Have you seen pictures of its fountains? 
No, but I read a lot about it. Oh, my God. It has 50 fountains with 620 jets, which, fun fact, were installed to entertain the guests. Um, A lot of these fountains still use the same hydraulics network, which was built by the royal family. Ooh, fun fact. Every time the palace has been uninhabited or left run down, the fountains were maintained to keep them operational for the next the next time people the next time people would be there oh my god that is amazing that's amazing um but they were built by the royal family like i'm telling you louis the 14th he was maniacal about the grandeur and the opulence of this place and it's still evident today um it took let's see oh Yes, the Golden Gate of the Palace of Versailles. It's been repl- it was replaced in 2008. Um, these gates were actually destroyed by the common people during the French Revolution. Um, so replicas of the 80-meter steel gate decorated with 100,000 gold leaves were made with the help of private donors contributed <clears throat> $8 million for the plating. Oh, and uh, there's drama surrounding the gate as well, mm-hmm. I read. Yep. A lot of people are angry that it's a modern interpretation of the gate and not an accurate replacement, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess I could see the annoyance there, but. I mean, the people the people want a, a correct reenactment. Uh, a, a, a correct. Yeah. Uh, historically accurate. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um. Now, it did take 36,000 workers to construct the palace along with its gardens. After its completion, it could accommodate as many as 5,000 people at a time. Oh, my God. Yeah. The Palace of Versailles has a total of 2,153 windows, 1,200 fireplaces, 700 rooms, and over 67 staircases. Fuck that. I quit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how many floors is it? I think it's three. Well, I mean, that's not bad. I mean, you're not walking up 63 staircases in a day. I mean, you can just go up one and stay on that floor. (laughs) Stay there forever. Um, (laughs) The Palace of Versailles was decorated with valuable paintings and works of art. It contained an estimated 6,000 paintings and 5,000 pieces of furniture and other objects. Louis XIV spent one third of the total building budget of the palace on its fountains alone. The garden of gardens of Versailles have approximately 400 sculptures. The kitchens of the palace alone had hundreds of servants, in spite of which the king's meals were often served cold due to the distance between the kitchen and the dining room. <laughs> um, this is what fucked me up, but I'm also not surprised. Actual building costs for Versailles are debated by modern historians because currency values are uncertain. However, Versailles' price tag ranges anywhere from $2 billion in 1994. Oh my God. All the way up to a maximum cost of $299,520,000,000,000. Eat that, Bezos. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. And Kim Kardashian, Kanye West, this is why you could only have your rehearsal dinner there. Oh, Carrie, the tone. <laughs> I mean, and uh, more than four people, four, more than four people. <laughs> 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 
in news in a fact that cannot be disputed. <laughs> More than four people. <laughs> I think the more accurate number is between five and ten people visit every year. But... <laughs> Jesus. Terry, uh-huh. I finished my wine. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, oh. More oh than. You're keeping that one forever. <laughs> more than four. Million people visit Versailles every year. <laughs> I'm so stupid. I don't deserve to go. I'm so stupid. Oh, oh God, I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> it's a magical place. More than four people go every year. <laughs> a fucking idiot. Oh my God. Oh God. Oh, oh, God, we're keeping these intact, right? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> okay. For sure. Holy crap. Okay. Um, so that is what I have about what it looks like. And just to give everybody just kind of an idea of the grandeur and the amazingness of um, this gorgeous, gorgeous palace, which you can't even really call it a palace. You can't really call it a castle, but it's just – and it's certainly much more than a chateau. So – the hauntings. Again, there's not very many, but there are um, – the, what they have is pretty fucking unique. <laughs> and one is a very famous story. A book was written about it. So uh, did you come across any haunting anything in your research? No. I, I literally stayed to the first paragraph of every section. <laughs> cool. Okay. So – there have been plenty of reports of white mists and cold spots by Marie Antoinette's bed in the Petit de Trianon. So after Louis XIV built Versailles and made it this amazing huge place and then he died, um, his successors then added to Versailles over the years. And this Petit de Trianon is a little uh, house in the gardens of Versailles that Louis XVI had built for Marie Antoinette um, when she wanted to escape the hustle and bustle of court at the main palace, I guess. Oh, my God, the poor thing. The poor thing. Um, So this was a a place that she loved and spent a lot of time in. And I guess reports of white mist and cold spots um, are found in this building, some reports also include sightings in the Queen's apartments, uh, such as objects moving by themselves, as well as glass objects breaking for no apparent reason. Um, maybe a, you know, angry queen. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Marie Antoinette is also said to, said to haunt the concierge, where she was held captive until her beheading in 1792. Oh. Yeah. Uh, now, Louis the Sixteenth is said to roam the halls of this palace. Uh, other spirits that are believed to linger in Versailles' vast walls are Benjamin Franklin, who visited the famous royal couple in 1778, Charles de Gaulle, who used the northern wing of the Grand Trianon of the palace as his offices during his presidency, and Napoleon Bonaparte, who stayed in the Grand Trianon with his second wife on many occasions. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, that's pretty much it for the hauntings. Uh, but there is what I am dubbing the Moberly Jourdain incident. 
Um, so basically, this is how the story goes. Anne Moberly and Eleanor Jourdain were touring the Palace of Versailles one summer in August of 1901 as part of a three-week sightseeing trip to get better acquainted before they began working together at the St. Hughes, no, St. Hughes Girls School. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, as principal and vice principal, respectively. The two decided to get a look at the Petit Trianon, which was at one time Marie Antoinette's personal chateau. I really want my own personal chateau outside of our big-ass palace, Arch. Yeah, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. Um, it starts with buying a house that has a treehouse. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'll call the petite tree and uh, <laughs> So as the women wandered through the gardens, this is what's fucking weird. They had some strange encounters. Um, a man with a pock-marked face as if he had had, had smallpox stood staring at them for a time and then disappeared. They both also noticed multiple people wearing old-fashioned clothes. Moberly saw a young woman sketching, and both women spoke of a feeling of dread and a strange energy to the area. Then, yeah, it, yeah, it gets it gets weirder. Then, a, yeah, it's fun. Um, <laughs> I love weird. Uh, <laughs> then a footman apparently happened upon them and told them they were going the wrong way. They, they went where he directed them to and happened upon a wedding party and realized that the sad, strange feeling they were feeling had lifted. Neither woman actually spoke of their experience to the other until months later when they compared notes about their trip. That's when they discovered they'd witnessed some inexplicable things and felt uncomfortable and spooked. They even realized some of the trails they walked and buildings they'd seen were not present on the palace grounds, at least not in 1901, but they had been there during Marie Antoinette's time in the 1790s. Oh, wow. Yes. So after some research, Moberly and Jourdain deduced that the clothes they had seen from were from the 1790s. And Moberly decided that the woman she had seen sketching was actually Marie Antoinette. But was it the ghost of Marie Antoinette? Or did these women inadvertently travel back in time to I a was summer afternoon? I was just going to ask. <laughs> in 1792. So this is often just called. Just going to ask. That's yeah. so cool. This time, if they, like a lot of articles that I have, because I've heard about this ghost story for many years, but a lot of them are like, is this some sort of time space weirdness on the property of Versailles? Like what? What? So these women published their account of their trip in a book called An Adventure in 1911 under the pseudonyms of Elizabeth Morrison and Francis Lamont. The book was very controversial. After all, the women claimed to have seen Marie Antoinette in 1901. Right, right. So there's a lot of theories um, going around about what really happened that day in Versailles. Um, one of them is maybe the women stumbled into a historical reenactment. Uh, Versailles was a popular tourist destination at the time, just like it is today. So it's possible that they could have had actors parading around and pretending to be pre-revolution royalty. Um, there was also an artist living on the property who was famous for his tableau vivant, a type of performance art where people are arranged to create a scene or represent an incident. Uh, but it doesn't seem that any of those kind of events were scheduled to take place the day that these women visited Versailles. That's amazing. 
Yeah. So the women themselves were also examined closely because, I mean, if you were to be like, oh, my God, I totally just ran into Marie fucking Antoinette. <laughs> she died almost 300 years ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> God, we are so made for drunk history. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. OK. All right. So they were examined closely and it's been theory theorized. Jesus. Wow. What's that word? Theorized. It's been speculated (laughs) (laughs) that they had a romantic relationship and possibly had a shared delusion. Um, Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, Bitches be crazy. Bitches be crazy. Um, Some have even suggested that they simply allowed their memories to warp their feelings and facts until something very innocent became sinister. Uh, both women claim to have had hallucinations in their past, so maybe they were gifted with the gift of second sight. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's The article concludes with, um, it seems easy to dismiss their story, but the, the what this article called the Moberly-Jourdain incident, as it's known, is by far the most famous haunting of the Palace of Versailles. It certainly can't be the only time ghostly encounters have occurred at a palace as old and as historic as Versailles. And I buy it. I think I, I buy it. Well, I guess my thoughts are shared, shared delusions are either fictional or factual. So either they made it, either they made it up or it happened. It's one or the other. It's, um, there's a thing called a folie adieu. It's another French term. Of course. Um, which is, is, is similar. Um, but it typically, that typically happens in siblings, I believe. There's a number of odd, odd cases of sisters, twins, brothers that share what is known as a folly adieu, which is a shared delusion. A oh. shared, yeah. Um, I've never really heard of it being done in front, in friends, let alone not these women weren't really friends. They were going to be coworkers. So I don't know. But um, yeah, that's that's what I got on Versailles. Like I said, it's not it's not a lot. Um, I talked more about what Versailles looks like because I love it and it's amazing. Um, know before you go. If you want to visit, um, obviously it like everything else in the world is temporarily closed because of the coronavirus. But their website is chateauversailles.fr. So uh, yeah, do that. Um, it is it is certainly amazing. My friend Maritza went when she went to Paris. And she posted that she was she checked into Versailles, and I was like, "That bitch!" <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I will definitely get there one day because it's it's stunning. And again, I I study um, the British and the French monarchy pretty extensively, and um, it, I think it's it's absolutely fascinating. I'm up to. Uh, Louis the 15th right now. I haven't gotten yet into Louis the 16th and Marie Antoinette yet, but so yeah, everybody go check out Versailles. It's amazing and, and wonderful. And I hope you see some ghosts. And I, if you time travel back to, uh, 1790, uh, see if you can check in on Facebook because that'd be amazing. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, if you guys want to be one of the four people that visits Versailles every year, <laughs> please go to their website. Uh, so that's it. That's it for us guys. This is our mini episode. We were able to pop two locations, really fabulous locations in, um, episodes about an hour long. Um, as of right now, uh, let me edit some of this shit 
down and we'll see how that goes. We are Uh, off. Yeah. We're off to record our regular uh, scheduled programming. And we love you. We thank you so much. We are so appreciative of your generosity um, being our, one of our Patreon donors. And we certainly hope you've enjoyed this mini episode. We will be back in another two weeks with a new mini episode. And I can't remember what those locations are, but they're just as amazing and wonderful and deserve to have their stories told. So that's that. What else you got, Arch? All right. No, that's it. Thank you guys so much. Yay. We love you. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.